0: Hello there and welcome to another episode of Ruben's Podcast, a show where I speak to people about their lives over the last decade and the lessons they've learned along the way. On today's show, I'm speaking with Harshit Malu. I met Harshit back in university in 2011, and over the last decade, he's had a great career working at one of the biggest management consulting companies, McKinsey. He got the job right out of university and rose the ranks quickly. From the outside, it's what an ideal career would look like. But through our conversation, he tells me about the ups and downs during this journey. We chat about his shining career at the firm, why he didn't go to business school, joining a startup in the middle of the pandemic, and his new view of the world. But before we begin, and I thought this would never happen, but we are on Instagram, at Rubens Podcast. Do follow the page, and I plan to use that space to share updates and get feedback on what more you'd like to hear on this podcast. We're at Ruben's Podcast. That's Ruben S. Podcast, no spaces in between. Okay, let's get into the conversation. Cool. Harshit, thanks a ton for, for taking time to do this, man.
1: Thank you for inviting me, very excited.
0: Where in the world are you right now?
1: I am at home in Calcutta, where I have been throughout the pandemic. Um, in fact, it's six months before the pandemic because my last um, case at uh, my previous organization was here. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been back at home living with my family for quite
0: some time now. Is this the longest you've been at home since like you ever left like university? The longest I've been at home since I was
1: 18 since I left for college and and by a a mile right because before this I had been at home at max for like three days, four days, maybe one week mm -hmm. Uh, and now this is what now like almost one and a half, two years, I don't even know. One and a half years. I was like no we don't even need to like do anything to my room, no I don't need a TV, I'm here for like two months, who cares but now I've I've, like properly come back to my room again, it feels like home again.
0: And, and have you settled in or, or like how, how are you feeling about staying at home for like two years now? It's great
1: because uh, I don't have to worry about food, mm. um, I don't have to worry about keeping anything clean. Uh, so I can basically live like a slob like I did in class 12, fantastic. Um, most of my school friends stayed back in Calcutta, so I'm mm. just getting connected all of them again. So it's fantastic, I'm not complaining at all.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. So, I, for like most other people on the show, I asked them to send me a, a, a voice note about what they've been up to over the last 10 years. So, I'm going to quickly summarize and then we'll get right into it. Uh, so, Harshad, right after university, uh, you went to join McKinsey. You said, I just landed up in McKinsey. <laughs> and I was like, yes. says everybody who lands up in McKinsey. <laughs> we just, like, we just stumbled into McKinsey. <laughs> Uh, I, I right after university, you worked in India for a couple of years, you went to New York, uh, worked there, you rose the ranks, became an engagement manager, which is a big deal in McKinsey. Um, and we'll touch upon you know what what that what that journey was. Um, you started thinking about B School, somehow decided that B School wasn't for you, and moved back to India, worked for a bit more, and then decided to join a startup in the middle of COVID. Um you've had a journey which a lot of people dream of, and I think people who are like maybe 21 or you know in the second or third year of university we we'll probably look at you and be like wow like this is exactly what i want to do for the next 10 years and i think through this conversation what i want to what i want to get at is like what's behind the scenes right i think this is there's no two ways about this being an absolute fantastic journey but i think i, I do want to sort of unpeel some stuff around what you were going through this, through this journey and, and what are the not so glamorous parts of of, of, of all of this right mm-hmm. I think your, your LinkedIn talks about all the glamour. <laughs> Go check out Harshit on LinkedIn to know more, to
1: know <laughs> Definitely great for the journey, but yes, we can, we can definitely peel back some layers. It's not all glitz and glam.
0: I, I think a good, a good place to start Harshit is you've had a pretty exciting career at McKinsey and I think it's, it's fair to say you've done pretty well at the, at the firm, right? Talk to me a little bit about what your career was uh, and you know, how, how you feel it, it ended up successful and maybe, you know, touch upon. One thing which sort of you know you would advise people who are entering into the consulting world already in consulting, um, so that they have a good ex have have a good career there, and maybe one mistake that most people make in consulting that you would probably now avoid or, or as you look back would be like, hey, just stay away from that. But but why don't yeah. you start by talking a bit about your career career consulting and, and why you feel it was it was a successful one?
1: Let me start by also one minute on I did actually legitimately just end up at McKinsey. It wasn't Plan A at all because Plan A was to just tricking at a job out of college. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I always did well in academics. Yeah. I'm not shy about that at all. But I did not think that I had any real-world skills whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, I just need to get the first job that I can get, do that for a couple of years and see if this even makes sense or I'll go back home.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, okay. I think the first company to come to campus was uh, BCC, was mm-hmm. Um Went to the final round, uh, did not... Uh, make it through. Mm-hmm. Then the next company to come in was Monitor Deloitte. Uh, again, went to the final round, did not make it through. So going into McKinsey, I was like, boss, there's no way this is happening. <laughs> there is absolutely no way this is happening. Uh, AT Conny is coming next. Uh, everyone talks about McKinsey as if it's like unachievable, right? It's There is always that one person in your batch who as the golden ticket already even before the yeah. <laughs> interviews have started that's the person who's going to get into mckinsey and we had that person in the batch, and it wasn't me so it, it, it was done right everything was sorted. so i went in thinking okay there are more companies coming in i can't like just give up and sit at home right now so i'm going to use this as practice <laughs> i'm going to go get the next uh, job that comes in and i legitimately it was such a stressful couple of days like in the mckinsey office uh, because everyone else really 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 wanted the job yeah like, really wanted the job uh and people were just so nervous so stressful and everyone shows it in a different way like some people just go silent some people just can't stop talking some people like <laughs> as soon as you come back from the interview they'll ask you ten thousand questions about it and i was the one sitting in the room thinking like huh you know, this is not going to happen so i was like guys let's play I think we ended up, uh, like, let's play Pictionary because we were, we were waiting for like some five hours in the middle of interviews, right? You have to wait for whenever the partner's free. Yeah. We were like, let's play Pictionary or let's play Antakshri. We made the uh, HR also come in and play Antakshri with oh, us. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I was the one being the the idiot uh, in the room, uh, which worked, I guess, which which segues into, I think the first thing that, that actually definitely works in consulting. Um, is to learn how to um, manage your stress. Mm. Uh, the environment, the entire consulting environment, right? It's it's full of people who are super uh, smart, right? Who get excited by solving problems that are not easy to solve, and who are always sort of uh, they're not shy about sharing their opinions. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the most dominant personality you will see. There's obviously also the faction which. Um, is slightly more introverted. They'll take the time to think about it and they'll come back with, your, with their opinions later and I fall in the second category. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy for that second category to get overwhelmed by the strong personalities all around you. Um, so for me, it was the, the key to success um, in my initial years at McKinsey was just going back every day and telling myself that I do deserve to be here and I am smart enough to be here and I can contribute. Um, and it's not easy to to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, for me at least, a lot of external validation that did help, right? As you are doing, um, as you're on your first project, on your second project, just proactively asking for feedback, people will tell you sort of what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And the more you do that, the more sort of you'll always be on the right path because yeah. it's easy to push correct.
0: yeah um, just, just to double so, click on that like how, how did you take that learning or that experience of yours as you became a manager like what were things you were doing like were you doing things differently when you were a manager knowing that you know there are the loud people who you know make a lot of noise and there're probably the quiet people who need to be you know given extra attention yeah i think uh, there is
1: so typically what we do and it's not just unique to me right i think it becomes culture uh, but it begins what we do is we do these team learning sessions where you ask everyone for them for their mbti types and make everyone in the room aware of who is an introvert who is an extrovert what are problem solving sort of preferences do we want to send pre-reads so that everyone has a chance to process before they start opinionating uh do we uh, sort of make sure that when we are in a room and discussing something if someone is quiet we call them out and ask them to give their opinion if they have anything about putting them on the spot. Mm-hmm. But making sure that you're giving them a space to have an opinion rather than just letting the cards fall as it is. It. So I think stuff like that, which which helped me a lot, um, I, I do put in. Also giving your team member the benefit of doubt. Right. Mm. I think uh, that becomes supremely important because it's very easy to jump to conclusions um i had this happen to me when uh, when i was in my first year right i had built this dashboard for a ceo and shouldn't have taken me but it took me the entire freaking night to do it i was up till i was in office till 6 a.m doing it and um what i did very smartly was after i built the entire fucking dashboard i grouped all the different subsections so you see a macro level view which is only like five rows and then you have to double click to, to get everything. Else. Yeah. And I sent it off to the partner, super happy, like finally I cracked everything. He calls me, um, he called me into his room and he was like, hey, I uh, just want to discuss the dashboard and, uh, you know, I think we're on the right track, but this is what else we can do. We should go into like the next level of detail and maybe we can do this and that. And I listened to him for like 15 minutes. And I was like, I need help. Let me show you the Excel and you tell me if it's not exactly what you just said. Right? And he just hadn't done the double click. Mm. So he was giving feedback on those five lines and uh, without <laughs> looking at everything else. But it would have been so easy for him. And I've seen so many other people do that to just like get super annoyed at me and be like, listen, I told you to do this. Why can't you do this one thing mm. correctly? you send me five lines in an Excel. But for him to actually sort of take the time and be like, maybe he didn't understand properly or maybe he didn't get the message or maybe it's not translated. Let me just take the time to um, help him.
0: Mm. Right, as someone
1: who is part of my team, I think that level of just giving your your team another opportunity, another chance, the the chance to sort of express themselves, super important. Got
0: it. So so give give people the benefit of doubt and just tell yourself yeah. that you are that you somehow landed up there, and you're good enough to be there.
1: Imposter syndrome is super real. It's mm. something that um, that I read about only after join after maybe one and a half two years into me. Yeah. The more I read about it and the more I read about like people that you would look up to who have confessed to having imposter syndrome and um, just for the benefit of the audience, this imposter syndrome is basically having that feeling that whatever you have achieved in your life, whatever you've done in your life is has been handed to you or has been luck or has come in by chance and it's not you who's, who deserves yeah. it, right? You're just waiting for someone to tap you on your shoulder and be like, wait, you got lucky up till now, but you're stupid, mm. right? And that feeling was so real, uh, so real. Uh, and then maybe like, I don't know, three, four years into McKinsey, I feel like I've gotten a uh, hang of it now, but sometimes it does creep up again. Yeah. Um, and the thing that typically happens when you have imposter syndrome is you start looking for external validation to mm. to complete that loop for you, right? To somebody else to tell you that uh, you're doing well. And when that takes over, then you're doing everything you can to please the other person. Yeah. Whether that's your manager, whether that's other colleagues, whether that's the client. And then you're getting into this cycle of doing, like, basically, not caring about yourself at all. No self-prioritization. Um, live on external validation. Kill yourself to get that external validation. Love it. Do it all over again.
0: Do you remember that moment in which you realized that I, I got to stop? No, there, there
1: was a moment where I just, like, Went to Google and look for therapists. So I mm-hmm. guess that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um there was it it came in I think a couple of distinct moments, right? Mm-hmm. There was um one time when uh I was on a flight and typically as soon as I got on a flight I fall asleep, mm-hmm. right? Because we were sleep deprived. Um <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as I got on a flight I sleep. Uh that day for some reason I hadn't slept. Uh, it was an economy class seat, and I like I'm big yeah. enough foot to not be able to work when I'm sitting there. Uh, but yeah, when I when I couldn't sleep and I wasn't working, I literally just thought about my life and I cried for two hours
0: mm.
1: for no good reason. Just like tears falling down my face for the entire two hours, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Mm. Um, and it needs some some soul searching, some reflection. Um, Got it. And then there was this uh, other time where I legitimately, there was, it was the end of this um, uh, client study. which And I remember sending out that last document, shutting on my laptop and just laughing, like in an empty room. Which also I was like, what kind of mad person laughs in an empty room? But I was just so relieved that something was over. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the day when I, after that, after that, I was like, looked up therapists uh, mm. in Mumbai around me.
0: So you talked about, you know, stuff you things to do sort of to build a, build a good career in consulting, maybe like touch upon one, one thing which you would avoid or like one mistake, uh, which, you know, most people make and then you maybe just try to try to avoid that for someone mm-hmm. say entering into the world of consulting today. It
1: may be, maybe slightly related, but, uh,
0: there's one thing that people
1: kept telling me to do, uh, throughout, I think the first four years, uh, and this was consistent in, in India, in New York, in London, um, three distinct conversations, three very different people who met me and told me that I need to take care of myself. Mm. I think you do feel invincible in your early 20s uh, when you are going in, um, when you're hired by companies uh, like the large consulting firms, investment banks, or, yeah. or and honestly any company. right? Yeah. Whenever you're hired and you start getting importance and you start getting uh, some work done and you start achieving shit in life, you start to feel invincible and you it, it was so normal for me to go up and say oh yeah fine one night a week i don't need to sleep I don't I, i'll just clear every wednesday night i won't sleep i'll clear my backlog or like sunday nights i'll go party with my friends all night and i'll just like take the monday morning flight and get to work i don't i don't need that rest in between or uh you know it's fine if if the team is short-staffed i can just double up and do like double the work number of work. Um. Those things came very naturally to me to offer, even to people, offer my capacity. And uh, it it came from the feeling of, this is not difficult, I can do this shit. Hmm. Um, I think you don't realize, um, it's, it's the whole marathon versus sprint, right? You have to realize that it is a marathon. It is not going to be, um, even if you can do it, you don't have to do it
0: all the time. Got it. That's I see. that that's great advice, and I think this will also segue into what what we're going to talk about later. But but quickly coming coming back to your your life in McKinsey, you you worked a bit in India, um, worked a little bit in New York, and then you were in London. Um, and along the way, what most people do with with great and successful careers, is they go to business school. <laughs> and you 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 decided <laughs> fun. You decided you started the process, and um, I, I remember you mentioning that through the application process, and you, when you were answering the questions like, you know, what is important to you? What's the most important thing to you? Um, you had a bunch of realizations. So I, I, won't, I won't ask you why you decided to go to business school, because I think that's pretty obvious why, why that's sort of the standard trajectory. But um, tell me about what was going through your mind when you were filling up these applications and how do you essentially like what was your decision thought process because, you know, I'm sure you, you did a lot of problem solving and like decision trees. When McKinsey, how did you like, what was your decision tree to come down to the conclusion that, hey, like my my hypothesis that I, of I need to go to business school is, is no longer valid and, and I'm not going to go to business school.
1: Yeah, I did have somebody, uh, a senior at McKinsey give me like this entire document about how to think about your life and how to think about structure what you want to do in life. And therefore, does B school make sense for you or not? I, I did not follow that. Uh, I am not as organized in my real life. But basically, you no. Know, the idea always was: two years at McKinsey in India, one year at McKinsey in New York. Go to uh, B school, makes sense. That's what everyone does. Um, and uh, even B school, uh, snobbish as it is, it was uh, like first year. It was only or round one was try Harvard, Stanford, um, whichever one you get into, go for it. And again, I was. Um, on the on the invincibility, saying, "I'm going to be like a hundred percent authentic in my applications. Like I don't have to worry about which school uh, I want to go to. Let me just think about. And this sounds so weird saying it, uh, but let me just think about. Uh, let me just put myself down on paper and send it out to every school and see whatever school thinks I will be a good fit over there, right? And and we'll just go there." So that's the, that's honestly the approach that I took, right? Um, and when I saw the application forms, um, I, I wanted to start with Stanford because Stanford asks a really good question. Stanford just basically says, you need to write one essay, uh, what matters most to you and why? Uh, and that led to led to a lot of soul searching. I was not coming at this from the perspective of what does admissions council want to hear? Because I t- attended one of these um, Stanford, uh, those pre-MBA sessions, learning sessions, or whatever yeah, they are, yeah. um, and uh, their whoever the representative was, basically said that this is an essay that uh, we encourage you to write as if you were just uh, writing something that you can refer to when you're 40 years old, and blah blah blah. And I believed it. I was like totally sold. I was like, I'm going to write a letter to my 40-year-old self, saying what I wanted want life to be like. Yeah. And uh, that's what I started writing. And I, as I started writing, none of the things that were important to me were around career or, um, or, or, even creating like mass change in the world and like starting something that helps all of like I don't know, of humanity. Um, what seemed important uh, at the time I think still is important, right? But what what is important was that what I ended up writing a lot about is letting go of expectations um, because again this is a time when for the last three years i had been doing really well at uh, mckinsey but every time you do really well you are expected to do even better mm. right you you get called on to the next project or to the next project saying oh we know you've already done this why don't you try doing this next so so it was a little bit of uh, I, I wrote a lot in fact about letting go of expectations i wrote a lot about keeping uh, relationships alive uh, and having people around you that you can sort of enjoy with and and let go, uh, let go of yourself with, because again, I, I feel like I, it had taken me a lot of time, uh, from childhood to, to college to basically open up to people and not be the shy introverted kid that I was in school. And I had developed a lot of relationships in, in college. Um, and mm-hmm. I was starting to let go of them throughout, uh, because just because I wasn't able to give it time. Okay, so I need to let go of expectations in life. I need to like have, uh, have those friends uh, around me. And uh, I need to be able to, I need to know that I've been able to influence or bring about change in this people in my circle of influence, right? I don't care about that circle of influence being really large. I want to know that I'm having a positive influence on the people around me. I mean, I, I still love that. I, I still love all three things it's still something that i uh, sort of aspire towards probably not what these school admission counselors want to hear about um, and also i wrote it I, I was in a very fun mood i think um, because i had gone down to I'd gone down to one of the I, I finished these applications in new York. So i went down to a park and i wrote it like i got myself a coffee and a bagel because that's what you do in new york and i like printed out the the essay that i typed and i started writing on it with a pen and this was also, maybe it was a year after Adele came out with um, Hello, yeah. and I was listening to that on loop. So I started the essay that I submitted to Stanford with Hello from the other side, uh, because I was talking to myself from the other side of like, yeah. the time barrier. And uh, I wrote the entire essay to myself, a letter to myself, and I ended it with uh, saying P.S. I love Adele. <laughs> and that's what I submitted. <laughs> I don't know why I was expecting anything other than a rejection, but
0: uh, yeah, I think writing that essay was, uh, was very cathartic. Got it. If you were to write that letter today, would it be very different? I don't think so. I think it would be the same. It would be the same?
1: It would be the same. I honestly, I think I took it to heart when somebody said, oh, okay. like, listen, this is what you want to this is
0: This should be true for the next 40 years. I took it to heart and I wrote something that was very authentic to myself. That's awesome. So you, you submitted these applications and you got, whatever, you, you, you didn't get accepted into uh, Harvard and Stanford. Talk to me what was going through your head at that point of time, because this is something you may have, you know, you, everybody around you is talking about it. You were planning for this for like three hours. And like, did you know when you were writing that I say that it's okay if I don't get in? Or when you, when you realize that, oh, I'm not going to, I got rejected. It was like, oh man, this is, what, what the fuck am I going to do? I, I knew I was taking a
1: gamble when I was when I submitted those. Uh, it wasn't, I wasn't expecting um, a show-in. Mm-hmm. I just thought it would be really cool to get in with that essay. <laughs> uh, I was like, it would be, there was a part of me that was uh, hoping for a positive response. Yeah. Uh, but there wasn't uh, any expectation. Got it. But uh, no, I wasn't, um, I, I wasn't bummed out even. Like I didn't give it a second thought. Uh, again, this was also at a time when uh, McKinsey was still going really, really well. And I knew I had a stable career path here. Um, I financially also, it did not make a lot of sense. So this was again, six, this came in six months into staying at McKinsey. And I had, at that time, we to also realize that I want to go back to India. Mm-hmm. I don't want to uh, live in New York. So then doing a B school in the US and then having to stay there to pay off that loan for another four years, two years mm-hmm. meant that the rest of my 20s were going to be in, in the U.S. And that's not something I was excited about.
0: <laughs> why, why why do you say you wanted to come back to India? Most people are running the other direction. I don't know. When I left
1: uh, India, I, don't, I did not envision coming back at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just a few months into it, I just realized I would be missing out on too much that's happening in India. That in, no matter how connected the world is, it's not that easy to come back for like every family function. And I live in a joint family. Uh, happening. It's not that easy to come back for like every uh, men's wedding or every, yeah. everything that happens, right? Like my entire life was in Calcutta. Yeah. And again, maybe if I had gone to the US to study, you would have started to build those connections with a lot of people from scratch and you start, you don't miss your India bubble as much. Yeah. But I went in and joined a job where I was working 20 hours a day, where other people that I was working with were very conscious about not mixing their personal and professional lives because that's what people in uh, the U.S. typically are like. So I had the only people I was going to meet were people who did not want to hang out with me after work. I mean, that's mm. an over-exaggeration. I still did. But I wasn't going to build the kind of social suckers that I would have uh, in India. Maybe I just was did not even want to. But yeah, I found myself talking to taxi drivers about where they're from and uh, when did they get to go home last and do they miss home. So I was like, maybe that, that's a pretty good sign that I need to go back.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I, I totally get the, get the feeling of, I think similar to me when I was, I left India, I think back in 2018. Consciously, I was like, probably, you know, this is this is my ticket. I, I'm not getting back. But now sort of, and I don't know, maybe I just, because I'm homesick and I've not been home for like, I think a year and a half now. Uh, I can sort of see myself, you know, maybe moving back, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, th- I think it's grass is always getting on the other side and like you, you look at all the nice stuff happening, but when you come down to live day-to-day life, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a bit different. Yeah,
1: and that year when I was in New York, was that year, my, my sister got engaged uh, hmm. So I, I came down for like one week and uh, then my sister got married also that year. I came down for like two weeks.
0: Yeah, I would have liked
1: to be there for longer.
0: Correct. Yeah, that, 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 that's the hard part. And the U.S. is super hard because it's not like a two-hour flight. It's like yeah. crazy. Um, so anyway, so you eventually moved back to India. And uh, this was an interesting phase for you at McKinsey because it was sort of the, say the beginning of the end, wherein yes. <laughs> a, few, mm-hmm. a, 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 few, a few years later, you decided to leave McKinsey. So so talk to me about what was happening through these years and what was going through your head. You had this big realization yeah. about what you wanted to do in life through the entire B-School application. Um, you had a pretty stellar career behind you. So expectations were pretty high and you were writing about <laughs> letting go of expectations. Um, what was happening over these years, which eventually resulted in you deciding that, you know, I was going to leave yeah. McKinsey, which is always, you know, a hard decision, but um, talk to me about what was going through your head.
1: So from a career perspective as well, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to move back was uh, consulting as an industry is a lot more stable in the US and UK. in right? both places where I work. The kind of work that we do, I would say 80% of the time is work that we've already done with another client and you're just going and re-implementing, right? Um, the people, the teams have become so large and the problems have become so niche that you have very ready experts available for even the smallest problems, which is great uh, to be able to maintain work-life balance, but also becomes a little boring. Um, at least to me, it had become boring. Right? So I was like, let's go back to India. The people that I love, the work that I love, I thoroughly enjoyed my first two years and let's try and like build the office up from scratch. I'd build some practices up um, and that's the that's the whole intent i came back to india with uh, but what had happened in my decision to do this uh, which was in new york and probably 2016 or whatever, so, uh, and me actually hitting india i spent another two years just traveling and working because like the u.s office i was like hey let's extend and do another study in new york because let's do summer in new york and then somebody gave me an opportunity to go to london i was like oh wow let's go to london like, when will i ever get to live there again so I did that. It was supposed to be for two months, it kept like, getting extended at the a level for nine months. Um, and then as soon as I came back to India, somebody was like, hey, there's a uh, there's a study opportunity in Hong Kong and you get to do that for six months. They're like, fantastic, let me go to Hong Kong. So by the time I actually came back to India, India, I already had gotten designated. So, so I got designated, I became uh, an engagement manager. And uh, I had done the last two years, two and a half years of work in capital markets, which is not an industry that we have in India. So when I came back to India, it was the expectations were of like a stellar manager who was like the one of the youngest managers we have in the office and made it like early. Um, Me having no experience of having worked in India for the last two and a half years, uh, me having had no experience of the sector was I had to do finance because I had done finance in the last two years, but we were doing retail banking, commercial banking here, which is very different from the work that I was doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, then not knowing the people, right? The the typically as you grow into manager, it's very important for you to build your home and the kind of people that you're working with because it becomes much easier. So so everything was new for me, and then the first study that I did bombed, and uh, this was just like a two month piece. Uh, it bombed so hard. I didn't see it bombing as it was bombing. But upon reflection, it had bombed. (laughs) So I um, I think that 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 one I took really badly uh, because all those feelings of uh, the the imposter syndrome, the uh, Mm. telling myself that no no I'm actually good at this and I deserve it, blah blah blah. Four years, five years of four and a half years of good work, all of that goes away in an instant, like in Mm. in your head, and you're like, oh this is what I truly am. Like I'm a disaster. Mm. Um, So. That I think uh, was was difficult for me. Um, I did uh, to my own credit. I did come out of that, and with the next piece, and I like did well at that again, and uh, started to started to sort of crack at it more and more. But um, again, I think that was also the the mental health awakening for me, and I slowly started to realize that I need to be in an environment where I allow myself to to sort of prioritize me and. People can do it in any job, right? It's uh, the external environments are always, mental health is very similar to physical health that way. You can be overweight and you can say that, no, I just do not have time for workouts because I work 20 hours a day. But at the same office, you have other people who are working on six pack apps because they do make it a priority and they do work. Yeah. So um, I think you you can't blame your external environment for any of it. Uh, your health, mental or physical is very personal to you. Mm. But, to me, I think that that's the thing that I wanted to um, sort of start working on, and um, I think that December twenty eighteen, I had decided to quit, um, mm-hmm. started looking out for jobs, stayed for another year, uh, took a secondment in between. I was like, maybe I just need a break. I'll come back and do it. Um, but every time I every time I like refreshed myself and told myself I can do this, I went back into the same cycle that mm-hmm. I couldn't break myself out of. So um, then finally by jan 20 no jan when I given my notice April 20.
0: were you very comfortable with this wasn't it like oh my god like i've been like basically you've just worked until that point you just worked one job for like five five years now
1: and i planned on working there i planned on becoming partner and i planned on working there for the rest yeah. of my life I was, yeah i don't need to do anything else i want to do this till i'm 35 30, 40 maybe max and i'm just going to retire and travel the world um i was sorted i did not want to do anything else in life yeah um but uh, it's funny how things change and how fast things change um it was difficult initially to come to terms with the fact that i want to do it the first couple of interviews that i went out and gave felt wrong almost i felt like i was like cheating on mckinsey Uh, The more conversations i had with people outside and the more conversations i had with people who were uh, in my batch and had quit and had gone on to do other things the more i started to get comfortable with this it took me six months to even admit to another person that i want to quit (laughs) Thank you. Yeah.
0: Me and and what were your friends and what were people around you telling you that made you sort of more comfortable with this decision of yours?
1: Just the fact that there is another way of life, right? Another way of creating impact, another way of um, sort of fulfilling a purpose, right? Because again, when you are in an environment uh, like consulting with any firm, you are working on pretty high-profile problems, right? And the one thing that keeps you from um, the two things that keep you from stepping out. It kept me from stepping up. Uh, first was, will I get to work on problems like this again? Will I ever be able to do that? Uh, and the second was, you can only exit McKinsey once. Right. So you have to take the best exit possible. Otherwise, like the exit can either take your career trajectory upwards or you can take it downwards. All of that is bullshit. It does not. One move does not make a career uh but that's what that's what at least i don't know whether i told it to myself other people told it to me i don't even remember but i used to feel like this is going to be a make or break decision
0: so you decided to eventually you know cross that hurdle leave McKinsey, um and i think those years those those last few years were pretty interesting because i think that's also when you decided that you would tap into um therapy um so going back to that day where you were you know, laughing <laughs> once you shut your laptop and, and found yourself crying on the plane. What was going through your head right before you typed therapist near me in Mumbai?
1: It was, um, I think, it was just realizing that I need help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of uh, research that I had anyway done before that, right? On mental health, on, um, on depression, on burnout. I mean, they're smart enough to know what's happening.
0: Yeah,
1: You may not want to admit it out loud to others, but inside you know what's happening. You yeah. know when you're getting burnt out, you know when you're not feeling happy, you know when you're putting on a mask. So conversations around mental health also also help, right? Uh, when, when people talk about, people started talking about how you can appear to be the most happy person, the most successful person, the most content person, but that doesn't, it's not true reflection of uh, who you are inside, right? And depression doesn't always have to be very, uh, physically visible, um, and then the more I read about uh, cases of, of burnout and uh, depression that is like hidden, what the term for it? But uh, the more I started relating to to it, and I was like, listen, I'm educated, <laughs> I am young, I can see these signs. Why am I just not picking up the phone and going to a therapist? Like, why am I being so stubborn about this? Um, so, so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to uh, just find someone near me. Uh, I still, I wasn't going to do the whole thing. I'm going to like ask for recommendations and blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, if I don't do it right now, I won't do it ever. I'm going to find the next person that can that I can visit literally today. And I went and, and blocked block the session and went to meet her. Did not know what I was going to talk about. But I was like, I feel like I just need to talk to a therapist. So here, listen to my story.
0: Yeah. So, so now I think as you look back and, and you mentioned about how you just picked up the first person, if somebody's sort of at that stage, and, and maybe b- before that, what were like, like, what are common symptoms that people who are not as well read or educated about, you know, like depression and stuff like that, like, if you're feeling this, there's a high chance you're probably you need to go to see a therapist, but like what would those yeah. two three things look like for somebody? I don't know if I can generalize it
1: because it may Mm. show up in different forms for different people. So I encourage everyone to just read about it. You don't Mm. know what you're going to read. Yeah. Uh, For me, it was, uh, it was stuff around just waking up exhausted, Mm. waking up and used to put it off as uh, it's because I'm not sleeping enough, Mm. but that's just a mask, right? If you're waking up exhausted, it's because you are just mentally drained. Second was just uh, losing that um, that initiative to like, go out, meet people, do anything. Like my every weekend plan was sit at home and do nothing. Catch up on work or do nothing, right? Order in. Um, I, I used to cook a lot. I stopped cooking, I was just ordering in. I was just like, I, I was not doing any of the things that I once used to like doing. Um, I was not making plans with people. The only times I would leave the house was I still had not learned to say no. So when friends made plans and said you have to come, I was like cool, and I used to enjoy it. I still, when I when I go out, I meet people, I enjoy it. But then as soon as I come back, I'm like exhausted again, and I would never make another plan. So I'm very grateful to the friends who actually pulled me out whenever they did, because I think that kept me sane for for longer. Yeah, but uh, maybe the biggest one for me was. Realizing that I'm not doing things that I used to like doing,
0: and and what were those things like? I mean, just
1: very simple things, right? Uh, I mean, I used to, um, I used to paint earlier, which I I used to go for walks. Like in Bombay. I used to go down to, um, I used to go down to Marine Drive. I used to go down to early CPS. Um I would proactively make plans with people. I would reach out. Uh, I do like my college friends. Yeah, um, but I, uh, it had all basically started to lose meaning.
0: So, so you decided to start therapy, and you know clearly it's, it's had an an impact and, and it's done you well. As people think about this, how do you recommend like overcoming this this hump? There's a big taboo around you know therapy and like finding a therapist. Do you go rec- get, like do you need somebody to recommend you somebody, or do you just go to anybody? Yeah. Like how, how should somebody think about it? like assuming that it got to a stage where it, you know, I I feel some of that stuff, and maybe I don't know. I'm going to go read up, and it's like you know what, I don't know if I'm fully there yet, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not zero. Um, like, how, how does somebody think about getting, getting therapy and, and choosing a therapist?
1: I think I am a, um, I'm a massive proponent of getting into therapy even if even if you feel like you're fine. Mm. Like, just think of it as mental gym. Like All preventive maintenance. Going, yeah, you're just going and talking to someone for an hour. Right? And everybody has stuff to talk about. No. Like, it doesn't have to reach the point where you're having these symptoms or feeling these feelings. To, to actually go up and make that appointment. Think of it as annual health checkup, do it like once in two months. Mm. Um, just Just pick up the phone and have that conversation. And if, if you're not comfortable doing that, just find someone in your ecosystem that you can be more honest about your feelings with. Right? Mm. Uh, so as soon as I started a therapy, I used to, I, I was very vocal about it. I needed help and I got help and it is helping. Uh, and the more people that I spoke to in one on one situations, I inevitably ended every conversation with passing on my therapist number to them mm. because everyone goes through the same shit. It's not rocket <laughs> science everyone is going through the same shit um in some way shape or form right uh, yeah. personal life, professional life whatever why why let it get to the point where you have to see a therapist just go have those conversations right? yeah um. If you know someone who uh, visits therapists and they can give you a recommendation great if not just find the one closest to you figure out what's important to you right is it important to you to have someone close by so you can visit them more often in person or is it more important to you to have like a, a someone of a specific uh, gender or someone along the spectrum or for someone who specializes in certain topics mm-hmm. you can do the research and find them if not you can run. If you don't like a therapist, find another one. You're not committing to them. This is not a long-term relationship.
0: That's a great advice. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like everybody like goes through it and you're right, like why do you need to get to a stage where in you need a, you need like a, you know, it's like going to the gym versus going to the doctor. You'd rather go to the gym yeah. and not go to the doctor. Um. So you did all of this stuff. Um, you started going to therapy. You decided you would leave McKinsey. Life was sort of changing for you now. And uh, you decided to join a company uh, called, called Cashflow uh, in the midst of a pandemic. How how was that experience like? Like joining a new company in the middle of a pandemic where at some point you believed that, oh, this is going to be a make and break decision of my career. <laughs> you only exit McKinsey 1. By the, time, by the time I was
1: leaving, I was done with those thoughts. Uh, so the decision to leave at anyway coming pre pandemic, right, probably a year before the pandemic, um, all the interviews and like deciding on, Cashflow is going to be the place that I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, again, Again, happened pre-pandemic. It was just around like Febish. The pandemic had hit Europe, mm-hmm. probably not India as much. Got it. Um, and uh, I think even in Europe, it was hitting massively in in Feb uh, and it started to take global traction. The what I do remember is the week that I told the the partners at McKinsey that I am leaving is uh, the week that everything went to shit, mm-hmm. right? And um, I remember the partners and like, I love them. They came to me and said, listen, I'd be willing to forget what you said Mm -hmm. earlier this week. Why do you want to go out in this atmosphere? Just stay for another year. Leave after a year, like if you want to, like everyone's okay with people leaving and joining McKinsey, right? Like just leave after a year, but don't go out in this uncertain um, environment. And uh, I I considered that, right? I called up uh, the founder at Cashflow and I was like, listen, um, I know you guys are a startup, uh, I know you guys just raise Series A, but if you feel like this is going to be a problem, you want to postpone this, I can just join you guys after six months. Like, mm-hmm. that's completely different. Uh, and they actually came back and said, listen, no, the things are changing and this is actually a tailwind for us because we are a supply chain financing company. People needed more financing during the pandemic. We're like, we need you now more than ever. So if you can leave earlier and come join us sooner, then that's even better. Like cool. That's all I wanted to hear. Once I heard that, I was like, nothing changes. The pandemic doesn't change anything. Let me just join. Yeah. The only thing it did change was I initially had planned on taking two weeks off before sort of starting something new, and I was like, why do I take two weeks off now in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, let Let the lockdown be over in a month or so, and then I'll take my two weeks off and go somewhere. Yeah. Um. And that basically has <laughs> Never been happened. a union now, and hasn't happened. So. I ended up joining just after one weekend and then we are still remotely working. So I haven't met anyone from the office. Uh,
0: Before we, like one question I had is, like you could potentially get any job on the planet after after McKinsey. Why did you decide to choose a startup and not like go to one of these big companies like a Google or like a strategy in a larger company? Everywhere,
1: everywhere, Everywhere. everything (laughs) you can imagine. Uh, but the first interview was with cash flows investor, <laughs> like self-capitalized mm. investor. That was my very first interview out of McKinsey, um, and your, that interview process so helpful because again I went on the approach of being super honest about what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and during the third interview there, I was like, listen, I want to at some point own a PNL and be able to say that I can grow a business. Uh, and they're like, listen, if you want to do that, might as well do that first and then come to VC. There's no point doing VC first. You yeah. won't learn anything newly about operation. I like, cool, thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> that VCs were out. VCs, I had anyway rolled out. Um, Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft product roles. Um, I spoke to them. My sister works at Google. I interviewed with uh, Amazon. Um, and I realized more and more doing that, that it's it's a, it's a little more, at least the roles that I was looking at, seemed a little more comfortable than what I wanted. Right mm. Because I still don't mind working like long hours and solving problems that are unsolved. I look at those things as more as the third five-year plan. Well, what
0: what, what so is it, what is the third five-year plan?
1: So I did McKinsey for like five years, six years. Yeah, You can spend another five years doing something that's risky um, and have no regrets. Like, even if things crash down to the ground, not saying that cash flow will, but even if things crash down to the ground, it's it's a no-regret move. right? I can still Correct. get up at 30 to and do something new and join an amazon or google and i'm sure i'll find a sure find a job in a more stable environment correct uh, but would i want to do the safer job now and maybe do a startup uh, later maybe i would but uh, it felt at the time that i should do the startup again.
0: that's super interesting um i think we are we're touching the r so so towards the end a, a couple of things i wanted to you know hear from you is um over these last 10 years, clearly you had a, a roller coaster of a, of, a, of a ride, right? And I'd be curious to know, like, what are, like, what are, usually I ask people one, but I want to know like two from you, uh, are the biggest shifts in belief you've had over these last 10 years. And what I mean by shift in belief is you believe something so strongly uh, up to a certain point, And then now you're like, I couldn't d- disagree more with that point of view. Um, what, what would be two shifts in beliefs you've had over the last, uh, over the last 10 years?
1: So there was an idea uh, early on in my career that the career was going to make or break or make or break happiness in life. Um, It was going to be the be all end all. And um, if you don't have like the ideal career that has been charted out by some people sitting somewhere, who knows who, um, then you're losing out. And I think no matter how uh, evolved college was and the kind of exposure we had in college, it wasn't like we were in some close and narrow-minded campus. Uh, That that feeling still somehow uh, found its way in my brain and settled in that that there is an ideal career path that uh, I need to be uh, pursuing. Clearly, completely blocking out all the other amazing things that that people in college. Um, so I think that that kind of shifted for me uh, somewhere during the last ten years, uh, just realizing that there is more than one way to, uh, to find fulfill that purpose. Um, the second thing actually is more about um, purpose itself, right? Purpose and ambition, like. I don't know. I, it, it always seemed like you have to find purpose in life and you need to be working towards something that where you can like change the world and do something like leave your mark. Um, yeah, that just kind of lost its importance for me overall. I think this is what you were talking about earlier also, right? Rather than having, um, left your mark in the world all over just having narrowing down that circle of influence and saying that this is what i want where my where i want my influence to be anything more than that great let let it happen organically but that's not what i want to i don't want to sit here and be like listen by 35 i need to do this or by 30 i need to get to a 30 under 30 list and by 35 i need to have impacted 5 million people and by 40 i need to solve poverty it's not going to happen. I need to. Yeah. I need to sort of be like, listen. This is my circle of influence. This is what I want to. Um. This is where I want to leave a positive impact in whichever form it happens.
0: So, so what is important to Harshit Malu today?
1: Letting go of expectations, maintaining your relationships. Um. I think. I think just those two other
0: things. I don't know if if you've read this book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm reading that right now and. There, there's a lot of talk around circle of influence. I don't know if you're using that term from that book, but I I would strongly recommend you you check that out because it takes exactly the same.
1: One of the books that did um, sort of really help me navigate the mental health piece was 13 Things Mentally Strong People Do. Um, Mm. They also have, they they do a gendered version, which I'm really not sure about why. Curious about what Thoreau is saying, mentally strong do versus Mandu. But anyway, yeah. uh, they their first chapter itself talks about self pity, right? And how when you are in a bad mental health space, then self pity is the go to uh, sort of yeah. The world is not happening to you. You mm. need to sort of take charge. And that was, that was a, that's a book I would recommend.
0: My, my sh- my <laughs> no, it's a great book. I'm gonna actually I've noted it down. I'm gonna read it. Uh, what two pieces of advice would you have for 19 year old Harshit?
1: Nineteen-year-old, I think explore more. Um, I did follow the set path for for quite a long time. And even when I started exploring, um, it it was very conservative in the way that I did. It took me me a year to reach the kind of opportunities which actually required me to put myself out there. I think the other is just don't be intimidated. I remember before my first, this was, I think this was around when I was 20, 21, whatever. Um, but that, that person, bef- we got hired by McKinsey in what, in October? December was the first Christmas party. I'm not someone who reads the news, right? I'm not proud of it, but I'm not, like, bi- uh, and, and especially in college, it definitely wasn't, right? But I freaking read the newspaper every day for 15 days before the McKinsey Christmas party, because I was like, everyone's gonna be so much smarter than me. Everyone's gonna talk about like important things in the world, and I will not know anything. And we will have to, like, I'll have to make shit up. And so I went in, like, super prepared. And then we just ended up going there and having fun. To... <laughs> I was like, this is my kind of people. I can do this. <laughs> if it's just about drinking, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was just going into the world. I was very intimidated by the feeling that everyone is smarter than me. Um, mm. That, I think... Uh, we just I don't it. know how 19-year-old Herschel would have reacted to it or
0: acted upon it, but that's still...
1: Yeah.
0: That's my go. <laughs> Which is so ironic, given that like you were like India topper and all of that. So like factually, it's like hey, you were technically this far Oh as yeah, the well. logical <laughs> side of the brain and uh, the irrational <laughs> side of the brain do not talk to each other at all. <laughs> yeah, it, I think there's a there's a term about how it's like two drivers driving your car, and one is a logical <laughs> person and one is like a random person. um Yeah. To to end our amazing conversation, Harshit, I usually ask people if they have one question for me. Do you have a question for me? What
1: was uh, what was your turning point in the last year? Um, You you mentioned that the last year you was when sort of doing a lot of introspection. Mm. What what led to that?
0: I think similar to you, man. Um, I till I think two thousand nineteen, maybe mid two thousand twenty career was everything, right? And maybe that's how, uh, what what we were taught and, and maybe that's how we believed that we would essentially, you know, your, your identity was very linked to what you were doing professionally. Um, So whether it be Bain, whether it be, you know, starting a company, whether it be working at a, you know, at a school startup and things like that. And and I think when the pandemic happened, um, you just sort of randomly started spending a lot of time with yourself um, and really like thinking about, like, hey, what do you want to do? Because I think one, you had a lot more time on your hands. Um, but also the, like the worst sort of kind of slowed down. So you were not like running all the time and just asking yourself that, hey, you know, what is important to me? Where do I see myself? You know, once the pandemic is over, what are things I want to focus on? Um, and through all of that, you know, thought and thing, basically I came down to the conclusion that there were so many things important for me, but I was not even doing anything of them. Um, so I, I actually went a bit crazy for a, for a month or so when I was, I, I got this, whatever, this productivity tracker kind of thing, which basically times you. And I would just time my entire day on where I was spending my time. And what I was trying to get at is, you know, this is what I would like to be. You know, I would like to be healthy. I would like to, you know, have strong relationships. I would like to have some amount of money. Um, you know, I would be doing meaningful stuff, la la. but how does that sync up to how I'm spending, you know, my 24 hours in a day? And then the answer to that was, it's not in sync at all. Like I'm saying one thing and I'm doing something, absolutely something else. So like, how am I going to get there? Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of those realizations on what is important, um, you know, how quickly things come, how quickly things go away. Um, and just like talking to more and more people, I think also like in 2019, we I was fortunate to sort of have like like this entire leadership like training program, which is, I would say quasi-therapy. And it was so, so like amazing. Um, so I think all of that sort of, you know, bundled up. You had a lot of time. The world that sort of, you know, was very reflective and you're like, okay, we have nothing to do. So let's just think. Um, sort of, and also I think it was the year 2020, because 2010 was when I entered Stephens and I would say that was sort of a decade where in before, like before 2010, life was very different. And then after Stephens happened, life was very different. And I was now at 2020 and I was thinking about, Hey, what does this next decade look like? And what do I want it to be, to, to look like, to look like, uh, and all of that sort of put together, I would say, uh, like through a series of events is what would be my, like a big inflection mm-hmm. The last one, yeah. liberating isn't it? <laughs> it is quite liberating. I don't know how it's going to pan out. It, it has this amazing picture wherein, um, I don't know the exact terminology, but essentially it says that today you feel that you're the best version of yourself because you have all these realizations, but a year ago you thought you were the best version of yourself. So I think <laughs> like a year from now or two years from now, I'm going to be like, oh man, 2020 Ruben was so messed up. Uh, but I guess it's a journey like you, you continue doing it and 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 you you keep getting like older and you keep getting wiser, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that's how, how At least the last one. You know, the
1: good thing is, we all have hours of recorded footage of 2021 versions of ourselves. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So we yeah. can back and
1: laugh all the way.
0: Yeah, and, and I really hope like people like who are maybe like 20 or like 22, 23 right now, while, you know, I strongly feel that listening to other people, it doesn't really teach you much. Like you have to like, it's very hard to drill stuff into people's heads. And the best way to sort of get it is you experience it yourself. But if this is even, you know, 10% helpful to people who are like maybe 21 and 22 and are probably, actually not probably, 100% going to go through this. Uh, if they can make decisions, yeah. uh, it's it's awesome.
1: Yeah, and when you're going through it, just to know that you're in the back of your head somebody else did go through it, it's not abnormal. Yeah. Um, that's all you want.
0: Yeah. Harshit, thanks a ton for taking time to do this, man. I think uh, it's been so fascinating to see how you've essentially, you know, gone through this journey right after university through McKinsey and, you know, what was going through your head and why you made decisions you did. Um, I think it's very, very valuable for people who are in consulting, thinking about consulting. I think there's a lot of glamour around the world, but these are like realities and in no way does it mean consulting is a bad career. It's just something you should know. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably like, I'm very, I'm very like, you know, grateful. I got into whatever I worked at been for a while. Uh, it really sort of gave me like skill sets, which I continue to use today but uh, it's just I think yeah. no, nobody sells
1: you my, my experience was not consulting but if I had done the startup first and then consulting later I would have experienced this in the startup it's just about mm. the, the work environment will challenge you it's about how you process it yeah
0: that's, I think that's a great place to end thank, thanks ton for doing this man thank you and that's a wrap thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the show If you've been enjoying these conversations, I'd love if you can subscribe or leave a review. You can also support the podcast by buying me a coffee. You can find the link in the show notes below. If you haven't heard, we're now on Instagram at Rubens Podcast. I upload new episodes every Friday and I'll see you in the next one.